The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. this week of preparation and, and experience, and sometimes God will prepare you to minister to a situation uh, through experience. You'll, you'll get to do things. Have you ever noticed that, you know, one week's not the same as the next? Even though much of our life is very routine-driven, there are new and fantastic experiences, especially if you work with or around people, because people are interesting. They do things. They do things that will inspire you. They do things that will disturb you. They do things that will provoke you. They do all kinds of things. So anytime you're working with people, you're going to uh, deal with new aspects of routine. So though in my world, I have a, a very consistent routine. Uh, my family's pretty routine driven. Uh, my, my sons have always had a bedtime and they get up and it just makes things kind of work really easy. I know for me, I'll, I'll get up and I'll go to work. I keep that set about the same time. Getting home changes a lot, but the point is, is that we have routine. And in that routine, then, you have interruptions. It's really funny to see what happens when, when routine is interrupted. I mean, really all a routine is is expectation, right? You've got expectation. I mean, that's my routine. I expect for my, my alarm clock to go off. I really don't use an alarm, but that's just metaphorically. And then I expect to step out and go to work, and I expect for things to to, to be ready to go, and I expect for the job to go smoothly, and I expect for everything to work out. It's when your expectations aren't met that there's a challenge. Like, here's an example, you know, I mean, this is a goofy example, but it's an example. You're stepping out, you're in the middle of your routine, everything's going as planned, and the car won't start, or you have a flat tire, right? Interruption to routine. Interruption to routine is a provocation. And then how that provocation is handled is really going to be the difference between success and failure in that situation. So one of the things that I became aware of this past week was the importance of handling things in a very specific way, a very godly way, and that way is gentle. Now, we've talked about gentleness in the past because it's a very biblical thing. We're going to look at it from a couple of new perspectives here. So here's a couple of things you're going to find. I want to give you three things that we're going to find as we go through the Scripture here. Uh, one, what Jesus won't do. If you're taking notes, which I strongly recommend, you can just jot these things down. You don't have to. But there's things to look forward to. We're going to start off with that one, what Jesus won't do. Now, I grew up going to church hearing all about what Jesus will do, what he can do. You know, well, God can do that. He's, he'll do this. He'll do that. But then I, I see in the Scripture there are things that he won't do. And I think it's important to see that so that we can uh, uh, apply his example to our lives. Another thing we're going to find is how to win, and I'm putting win kind of in little quotes there. It's just uh, uh, the, for, for the sake of communication, I'm using the word win. How to win any conversation. I have a lot of conversations with a lot of different people about a lot of different things. And, and most of the time those conversations involve uh, trials, hardships, there might be some conflict, there might be uh, argument in there, but there's a, an element that can be introduced into any conversation to make that conversation be productive, which is probably a better way to, to say that than when. And then a third thing we're going to see is what we need to know. What you need to know 
at any given time in your life. There's something that you need to be aware of. And we'll see that very clearly in the scripture, and it uh, hopefully will be very helpful to us. So I want to talk about gentleness, and, and as I said, we have talked about it in the past, but uh, we are going to take a little different perspective this morning. I want to just start with the definition of the word, gentle, what it means. So if you go to the dictionary, you look up the word gentle, you're going to find this as the definition. Not severe, rough, harsh, violent, but rather calm or to soothe, to dignify, to make noble or honorable. So for me personally, my brain kind of is really set on the beginning of that, that to be gentle means not to be violent. You know, and, and that's a real good definition. That's part of the definition. But then when you look at the, the back half of the definition is kind of the why. Why not be violent? Well, because rather than be violent, we're supposed to bring dignity, or they use the word dignify, to that situation. Now, this is a really interesting thing for me to think about because a lot of the stuff that challenges my day is stuff that uh, bugs me. And so the stuff that bugs me then I think that I am, am being just like Jesus because I don't go punch anyone in the face. Now, I know this is the second week that I've talked about punching people in the face, so I don't want you to think I've got a problem. I just don't mind being a little transparent. So in this case, you know, if I think I'm doing my job because I'm not out being violent, I might miss the most important part of being gentle. Being gentle isn't just the absence of violence, but rather it's to bring dignity to the situation, to bring part of the, the, to bring the solution. And if you ask me, that's really the most important part. I mean, if all I'm doing when I'm being gentle, whether it's in a conversation or, or, or a conflict in my marriage or raising my children or in the workplace, if all I'm doing when I'm being gentle is just not being a mean jerk, I really haven't done anything spectacular. I mean, we should expect that we wouldn't be mean jerks, right? That's, I mean, we're, we're believers, we're Christians, old things pass away, new things come, new creatures, empowered with the Holy Ghost. So really being a mean jerk really is off the table, like that's really not an option for us. So the absence of violence really isn't a, a successful mission accomplished, I've become a gentle person. But when we see that there's the, the rather to this, it's not just about not being violent, it's also about bringing a, a soothing or to dignify or to make noble or honorable. I deal with situations, and if I think I'm being gentle by just not getting really mad, I'm missing the point. First of all, I need to not get mad. Now then secondly, I need to bring dignity to this situation. Well, how do you bring dignity to a situation like this? I mean, a coworker shows up and he's strung out on drugs. How do you bring dignity to that? Well, step one, don't punch him in the face, okay? That's step one. So that's the first part of, of being gentle. You, you're, you're not being rough, harsh, or violent. But then now you look at it and think, how do I bring dignity to this? What is my duty to be gentle, to see that this doesn't just become about me not being harsh, but this comes about me now bringing a soothing to this scenario, me bringing a dignity to this scenario, which is not dignified by itself, me making this noble, which has no nobility in and of itself, me bringing this situation to a point of being honorable, because right now it's at zero. And if we can think that way, I think we can move toward the gentleness that we've been called to. And I told you before we're going to find what Jesus won't do. I want to give you a passage of scripture, the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 42, verse 3. Isaiah 42, verse 3, what Jesus won't 
do. Isaiah 42, verse 3. It reads like this. A bruised reed he will not break. A dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring justice. Now, it's, it's poetic in how it's written, but when you consider this, this, this bruised reed, this, this that is already damaged, that's already injured, he's not going to finish it off. This dimly burning wick, this thing that is about to just burn out and be extinguished and done forever, he's not going to put it out of its misery. I mean, when we apply this thinking to, to situations and circumstances that we deal with, basically it's showing us that there's never a scenario that we enter into where the solution is, well, it's hopeless, let's just shoot this thing in the head and move on. And obviously that's a very carnal expression, but I think you understand what I'm saying. We're not going to just call it and move away. Rather, we're going to ask ourselves, what is it that we're meant to do to bring life to this situation? To bring that soothing, that dignity, to bring that nobility or that honor to this situation that seems so void of it. And there's a reason why Jesus won't break that reed and he won't extinguish that wick. And you'll find that reason when he speaks in the Gospel of Matthew. If you have uh, your notes there, you can write this down and visit it in your own time. Matthew 11, 29 and 30. Matthew chapter 11. So Jesus is speaking here, and he begins to speak about himself. Like describing himself, describing uh, uh, his, his uh, personality, so to speak, or his mentality, or his motivations. And here's what he says. He gives this encouragement to his disciples to come and share in who he is. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I want to just stop there for a second. First of all, to talk about what a yoke is. Now, I'm pretty sure most of us would understand this, but if you had a couple of horses or a couple of oxen or some cattle and you were wanting to, to work them together, you would put a yoke on them. They would be partnered. They would be connected. So Jesus is extending what is an invitation, and he's extending this invitation to, to his disciples. This invitation is to come and partner with him and it has a purpose attached to it. Take my yoke upon me, upon you, excuse me, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Come and partner with me so that you can learn. Now that tells me something here. That tells me that this partnership isn't so that I can just let Jesus do all the work. And let me tell you, in my prayer life, that has been a real burden where it's just like, God, please make me gentle. Like you do it, fix it, take care of it. My wife says I'm a jerk, and I will need to be nice, so will you please make me not be a jerk anymore? She's never called me a jerk. But we do that where we, we just simply want God to do it. God lift it. God take it away. And Jesus is saying, hey, come walk with me. Come share my yoke. Let's partner. But that's not so that I can do it for you. That's so that you can watch my example and learn. Learn from me. Really, that's the most important part of that verse for me personally, and it may not be for you. You may have another element of that passage that communicates something to you. But he's giving this invitation saying, come connect with me so that you can learn from me. And then he explains why this is even a possibility. And I mean, this is really interesting if we just pause and think about it. I mean, you could read through it so quickly that you miss what all's going on here, and I think it's important to take our time. Take my yoke upon you. 
Partner with me so that you can learn from me. Why should you learn from Jesus? He says it right here. For I am gentle and humble in heart. That's what we need to learn from him. That's why we need to learn from him. It's the purpose for partnering with him and watching his example and applying his example to our lives because he's gentle, humble in heart. Isn't it amazing that it doesn't say because I'm really successful or I have really big church meetings? Come, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me because, man, I can sure pack the house. Come, take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I can heal the sick. Come take my yoke upon me and learn from me because I pray with eloquence. But he's saying, hey, come partner with me. Watch my example. Learn from me because I'm humble. I'm gentle. And it's that that you need to learn. He's speaking this universally to all disciples. I mean, those today, us, you and me, who are reading this thousands of years after it was spoken, that we ought to partner with Jesus so that we can learn his gentleness. And then it gives the result of this. Now, this is really exciting to me. I, I think that I probably respond to, you know, a positive reinforcement here. So you've got reward being revealed here. Come partner with me so that you can learn from me because I'm gentle. And that's really what you need to learn. And now here comes the reward. And you will find rest for your souls. That sounds awesome. If I could produce a product and call it rest for your soul, and put it in bottles and put it on shelves, it would sell out. People need rest for their mind. I mean, there's such an attack for anxiety and, and, and depression and all kinds of elements that are, are waging war in the hearts and in the minds of believers. The idea that rest for our souls is available should be an idea that we see as something that ought to be sought after. And in this case, Jesus makes it available. And he goes on to reveal why this all happens again. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So this is what's funny to me. I think I've misinterpreted this passage most of my life. Come partner with me. Come and watch what I do. Because you need to learn what I've got, and I've got gentleness. You'll find rest for your souls my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I've always interpreted that last part as it's not going to be hard. What he's doing is he's identifying what his yoke is. He's not saying the task is easy and the task isn't hard. It's never going to be a challenge. What he's saying is the yoke, that connection is easy and it's not a burden. This isn't some obligation that, that has to be met or else. It's not a qualification or a disqualification. Rather, this is an extension of grace and generosity to Jesus say, listen, you don't have to go this alone, throwing darts in the dark, hoping you hit a bullseye once in a while, but rather you and I can partner together. You can follow my lead, watch how I do it, and you do the same, and I promise you, it will bring rest to your soul. And if we begin to think that my yoke is easy, my burden is light, means that the task will be easy and the task will be light, then we can miss God because we'll come into circumstances or situations that are challenging to us and we'll think, well, since it's such a challenge, it must not be God. And before you know it, you're on the wide road and not the narrow road. 
I want to give a passage of Scripture here identifying gentleness and in, in its, its origins so that we can understand what's going on in our lives as we are walking out our lives as believers. It's a simple passage that we use in other messages often because of its contents, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It's a list of the, the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And you need to, to understand that the Holy Spirit is really the point. I mean, we, we see the cross, we see the empty tomb, we, we see years of, of the teaching ministry and the miracles and signs and wonders of Jesus Christ. We see all of these things, and all of these things are not just to come to a point where your sins can be washed away, but to come to a point so that your sins can be washed away and you be a host for the Holy Spirit, whom you could not host without your sins being washed away. It's the point. The point of the gospel is that the Holy Spirit would be active and present and moving in and through your life, producing these fruits. Galatians 5, and 23, the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That gentleness would be something that God would send into our lives through the Holy Ghost. Gentleness will never happen by accident. Now, you know what happens by accident? If I'm not paying attention to my words or my actions, the opposite of gentleness. If gentleness is not being rough, not being harsh, not being violent, I have to say when I'm not paying attention to myself, my tendency would be harsh, would be rough. And God forbid that it would be violent. But gentleness will always be intentional. In fact, it's something that is, is pursued in a situation. 1 Timothy 6.11 says, Flee from certain things. It talks about a list of negative things. And pursue righteousness, gentleness, faith, love, perseverance. Excuse me, and uh, uh, gentleness. Godliness is on that list too. I, I misspoke. The idea that gentleness is something that needs to be pursued, that is very intentional. It doesn't happen by accident, but rather it's intentionally sought after. And gentleness is going to be the evidence or the proof that you're operating in wisdom. I mean, have you ever asked God for wisdom or, or just prayed for wisdom in a situation or a circumstance? I mean, I, I have. I do it often. You're, you're faced with a challenge. You need to make a choice or a decision. That choice or that decision is going to have consequences or effects one way or the other. And you want to make the right choice, the right decision. You want to find out what, what God's will is in that matter. And so you ask God for wisdom. Father, give me wisdom in how to address this situation, how to address this problem, how to carry myself in this conversation. Well, wisdom will be revealed by the presence of gentleness. I'll give you a passage of scripture here from the book of James. James chapter 3 Verse 13, it opens with a question, who among you is wise and understanding? And then it is followed up with this statement, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show this by his behavior, his deeds, in the gentleness of wisdom. I've never shown myself to be wise by being harsh. I've never shown myself to be wise by uh, being uh, uh, rough. I've never shown myself wise by being severe. I've never shown myself wise by being violent. Rather, I've shown the absence of wisdom in handling these things. 
I gave an example once before. I'm going to give it very quickly uh, here again because I think it's a really powerful example because it's very easy to mistake gentleness for weakness. Now, we've already identified that Jesus is gentle. He said so himself when he offered the partnership to, to, to be yoked together so that we could learn from him because he's gentle. If we mistake gentleness for weakness, we'll really miss the point of how powerful gentleness is. So the one who identifies himself as gentle, I am gentle, is the same one who in Matthew 26 revealed he could appeal to God the Father and that God would put at his disposal 12 legions of angels. Now this is a passage of scripture that is a little just out there and obscure. You could read right past it and never think twice about it. But if you stop and you ask yourself, what would that mean for God to release the power of 12 legions of angels? Well, I can tell you from the Bible standpoint, you could just do a little bit of math. We got any math whizzes in the room here? I mean, we have phones today, so we don't really have to do math anymore, right? I use my calculator on my phone a lot. Calculator, flashlight, and, and then phone. Like it's, but I want to give you some numbers here. Like in, in the scripture, in the book of 2 Kings, you have a, a, an army that's raised up against the people of God, and, and it's a, a real threatening situation. And one angel, the angel of the Lord, in one night slays or strikes down 185,000 in the camp of the enemy. That's a lot of people. I mean, how many people make up Abilene? What, 120 maybe? Something like that? So in one night, 185,000 people struck down by this one angel. Now, that doesn't even say that it was a busy night or a full night. For all I know, it took like 10 minutes. Who knows? But what we do know is that it's recorded. In one night, 185,000 were struck down. So let's just take that number. Even if that's a conservative number, let's just take that number and work with it. So 12 legions of angels, well, a legion would be 6,000. So 12 times 6,000 is what, like 70,000, 72,000? What do you got? Come on, somebody, give me some math. 72,000. Okay, so 72,000. So now imagine you've got 72,000 angels, each one of them capable of wiping out 185,000 people within a matter of hours. Do the math on that. It might break your phone. It's going to be 13,320,000,000. I mean, how many people live on earth today? Seven billion? Have we, have we crossed the seven billion mark? So basically, I mean, rounding, this is rough. You're talking about God could give you the power, the authority to wipe out twice the, today's population on the earth, all with, with a request. A question, you know, hey, would you please send those angels to take care of this? I mean, that's power. So I don't want to mistake gentleness for weakness. In fact, it's the opposite. Gentleness is how we handle the power we have. It's weak for me, who towers over his sons by, by you know, a solid foot and outweighs them by a couple hundred pounds. And, and <laughs> why are you laughing at that? To, to think that it's strong for me to bark at them and to intimidate them. Of course they're going to be intimidated. I'm huge. But for me to show gentleness, it's to take that advantage that I have and not abuse them with it. To show restraint. 
And that's really what we see when we see God's gentleness, when we see the gentleness of Jesus Christ. It's not that he's weak. It's rather that he has self-control over the power and the authority that he has, and he doesn't use it for abuse. Why else would he make that statement? Do you think he's just feeling insecure? Hey, you guys know I could call six legions of angels, right? Or you know I could call uh, uh, 12 legions of angels. You know I could call 72,000 angels. Hey, you know I could wipe everyone out. He's not saying this out of insecurity. Rather, he's revealing this, reminding people of his power and authority so that we can see his gentleness and his restraint. And it's really true strength. You see strength displayed not in violent rage, but in patient restraint. And when you see the call in the scriptures to wait, you can see it made clear. I mean, Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord, be strong. That's the display of strength, to wait. Don't jump in there and, 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 and flex your muscle, but just be patient. Show some restraint. Psalm 31, 24, same thing. Be strong, let your heart take courage, hope in the Lord, wait for the Lord, trust in God. That kind of gentleness is something that is so important to be active in our lives. When we're operating outside of it, the roughness, the severeness, the, the violence, those things that are outside of wisdom will prevail. But when we embrace that gentleness, when we understand that it's not enough that we simply not be mean, but rather that we actually bring dignity to this situation, we're operating in that strength. I want to give you a couple of passages of Scripture here, and I want to move quickly as it concerns the time. One, Psalm 1834 through 50 talks about God's gentleness. It talks about God training you for, for war and training you for battle and all of these things. It's this really incredible, uh, uh, it's got to be one of the manliest Psalms you could ever read, and it ends with what makes you great, and it's not that aggression, not that violence, not all that training and preparation. Rather, it says, it's your gentleness that makes me great. Zechariah 4.6 talks about things not being accomplished by power and violence, but rather by the Spirit of God. Of course, the Spirit of God bearing the fruit of the Spirit, and one of those fruits being gentleness. I want to give you a few benefits of gentleness. Now, I'm going to give these very quickly, so this is where you note-takers will have a little bit of an advantage. Gentleness is absolutely necessary in marriage. If you're single, make a note of that for down the road. If you're married, make whatever adjustments need to be made to bring gentleness into your marriage. Uh, husband, wife, it doesn't matter. It's, it's necessary from both sides of marriage for marriage to be successful. And you'll see gentleness spoken of uh, very specifically in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Now, I want to paraphrase these because when, when you read them as they're written in there, it opens the door for lots of debate. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be this? What does it mean to be that? And that's not the point. The point is the power and the presence of gentleness within that union bringing about wonderful results. 1 Peter chapter 3 opens with, with addressing the wife, talking about the wife and, and, and as she relates to the husband, the importance of gentleness that she can win the heart of her husband even if her husband is a jerk. Now, it doesn't say jerk, but like I said, I'm paraphrasing. That's a really big deal because oftentimes we, we want things to work out on both sides. We want to see, well, you do your part, I'll do my part, and then we'll have the result we want. And what God's saying here is, hey, sister, you just stay gentle and he can be the biggest jerk he wants, you're going to win. It's going to work. 
He goes on to talk to the, the, the husband, and he talks about gentleness. The, the words that are used there are the words understanding way. That's how it's translated in a lot of the scripture, but it's gentle because it talks about the husband and the wife being different and how they treat each other and how they function, and he, the call is for the husband to treat the wife in a gentle manner or else, it says, the husband's prayers will be hindered. That's an interesting passage of scripture. There have been a few times before where I have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, wanted to see breakthrough here and there, and I've had to ask myself, have I been gentle with my wife? Now, these are interesting things in the scripture that need to be examined for the purpose of understanding why God wants these things prioritized. Because it's who he is. The only way we have gentleness in our life is if we do things his way. And as he leads us, guides us, corrects us, directs our steps in the way we should go, he's going to lead us into gentleness. And God has countless ways to get your attention. I told you before we're going to find out how to, to have a, a productive conversation in any conversation. I think I said how to win any conversation, and I don't really like the way that sounds. But how to make any conversation productive. I'll give you a passage of scripture from Proverbs. Proverbs 15, 1. Proverbs 15, verse 1. A gentle word turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Let me tell you what that means to me. I'm just offering this to you, that gentle words have the power to disarm hostile situations. That's really powerful. I mean, it doesn't just mean that, that gentleness is something that happens when we're, we're cooperating and we're in harmony. It means something that is aggressive, something that is hostile toward me can enter into my world, enter into my day, disrupt my routine, and I can have an effect on it by being gentle. This happened actually the other day. Uh, I, I was at work, I was doing some work, we were, it was a very dirty job, and in this dirty job, uh, this, this woman came from out of nowhere. And she was very hostile. I could see in her face she was angry. She approached me. And, and so I'm going to, it's not very uh, politically correct, but this is what she said, just so that you can see the hostility. What the hell are you doing? That doesn't sound very Pastor Preston, does it? That's a quote. That's what she said. But that's the hostility. It wasn't, excuse me, sir, do you have a second, you know? But it was this, this like, okay, so you just know. It's almost like hearing the, the bell in a boxing match. It's like, well, there's the ding right there. The fight is on, you know. I mean, golly, that's a great way to introduce yourself, you know. So she walks up, and she makes that statement. And, and my response is, excuse me, you know, uh, is there a problem? That's, that's a decent way to respond. And then she begins to reveal the problem, and, and the problem is, you know, you, you, you get my car dirty, you don't know what you're doing, it's my husband's car, it's a lovely car, and he gets, and this is what she said, he gets violently mad. So you got to understand something about, like, my personality. My personality, I'm like a conversational chess master. I've already thought of, like, six different ways to rip this woman in this conversation, and I'm just choosing which one. Now, that's not a good thing, that's a bad thing. And so, first of all, I just stop and I think, how do I handle this? Because I, I'm not going to react to her and begin to, to argue with her. What do I need to do? What gentle word can turn away this wrath? Because this lady is ticked. 
So I said something, and I, you know, I got to admit this. I said it, this was a little bit of the conversational chess player. I actually said this because I wanted to set her back on her heels. I said, has he hurt you? you know, she said her husband gets violently mad. And she looked at me real puzzled. And I said, well, you say that your husband is violent. Has he hurt you? Do I need to call the police? Well, now she's a little, she's, she's frustrated and flustered, you know. And I realize I'm doing it. I'm playing chess with her, and I'm trying to put her in a corner. And that's really, it's like watching a cat play with a mouse before it kills it, you know. And, and I shouldn't do that. So I stopped, and I changed direction. I just said, uh, listen, it's a very nice car. And, and this is a very difficult job as it concerns keeping things clean. Uh, you have my word. We'll do everything we can to prevent this from happening. And she had nowhere to go after that except to just say, you know, well, I appreciate that. And, and, and then, you know, she, she walked away. But what, what I realized is that's just a really interesting example of what a gentle word does. When she steps out and says, hey, what the heck are you doing? And, and I respond with, you know, who do you think you are or something like that? It's on. And you're going to have two people stirring up strife, and that's a fight. But if one can be committed to a gentle answer, it'll turn away wrath every time. That's why I'm so confident to say how to come out on top in any conversation. Bring the gentle words. It's not a time to show how witty you are. It's not a time to show how uh, gifted you are at turning the tables in a conversation. It's a time to bring Jesus and gentleness and bring dignity and nobility and honor to a conversation that's really lacking in it. Another thing that's important about gentleness is it's the key for forgiveness. Now, I told you we're going to move through these fast, and I lied to you because I've been going slow. I'm going to speed up. Forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is something that we all need to, to receive and we all need to provide. I mean, people have hurt you. They've wronged you. They've done horrible things. They've lied. They've cheated. They've stolen. They've, they've abused. They've done stuff to you. And it's important that we forgive the same way that we've been forgiven. So let me read a passage of Scripture to you about the importance of gentleness. If we find forgiveness something difficult for us to do, we could pray, you know, Father, help me to forgive, help me to forgive. Or we could see how important gentleness is and say, Father, introduce gentleness into my life so that I can forgive. Let me read a passage of scripture to you here uh, as it concerns forgiveness. Colossians chapter 3, 12 and 13. As those who've been chosen by God, and that's you, right? I mean, that's me. Holy and beloved, Put on the heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you do. I mean, really, gentleness is in there with a list of things, and those things ought to be on our prayer list. Father, I need compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience so that I can bear with these people that I'm surrounded by because they do things that hurt me. And I want to have the freedom of forgiveness. I want to walk in the power of forgiveness. I don't want to be in the bondage of unforgiveness, but rather I want to be liberated by the power of forgiveness. So let these things be magnified in my heart, in my mind, in my attitude, in my words, in my actions, and among them is gentleness. Now, once forgiveness takes place, you have a whole nother element that, that gentleness can bring into existence. Restoration. Have you ever heard someone say, or have you ever said, and if you've ever said it, you don't have to confess to it, well, I, I forgive, but I'll never forget. That's a problem. 
That's a real challenge. Restoration is really the, the, the point of forgiveness. Forgiveness is, is the, the gateway for restoration. If we stop at forgiveness, we miss the point. And the point is restoration, and restoration will require gentleness. Uh, I'll give you a passage of Scripture, Galatians 6.1. If anyone, I mean, you caught that, anyone, right? Anyone is caught in a trespass, you know, sin or act of rebellion or, or something that's, that's ungodly, those who are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. That's really important to me when I read that, that I think, you know, it didn't have to say that. It could just say, hey, restore people. You know, when they repent, restore them. When, when, there's, when it's right, restore them. But rather it talks about how that restoration happens, and it happens through gentleness. Uh, being born again or salvation, this is something that I'm pursuing for a lot of guys that I know, people that I work with. They, they have a deep need for, for uh, God to touch their lives. I talked to a guy just, just last night, a, a really incredibly gifted guy, smart guy, and he said, hey, you're, you're a pastor, right? I said, yeah, I am a, a, a pastor. He said, oh, where are you pastor? Oh, Champions Church, it's out on Buffalo Gap. Great, great congregation, just most wonderful people you'll ever meet. And, and he said, uh, oh, that's, that's interesting. Uh, I worship Odin. That's like a Viking religion, it's Odinism. And, and, and I know other people that, that do as well, so I was able to so say, I know a couple of guys that, that are, are uh, into that, you know. And uh, he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't have any problem with Christians, except Catholics. I don't like Catholics. And I just thought, well, that's funny. What should I say to that, you know? And I said, really, why is that? So, well, I got excommunicated from the Catholic Church. I said, well, that sounds interesting. What happened? He said, well, I punched a priest. And I thought, well, that'll do it, you know? And we had this conversation. Well, I mean, this is a guy that the whole time I'm talking to him, I'm having a conversation almost just like you're keeping the, the clock going because you don't want the clock to expire where it's like, well, see you later. But you're thinking, God, I'm waiting for my time. I'm waiting for my opportunity when that door opens for me to show this guy Jesus, for me to bring that word of wisdom, that prophetic word, that point of contact that transforms his life and shows him the truth. And I'm still waiting for that moment in that situation. But what I see here is that that moment will involve gentleness. Second Timothy, uh, uh, you got to forgive me, copy and paste uh, destroyed me here. So you're going to have to just do a little Google. Uh, you'll find this passage of scripture in your Bible. With gentleness, correct those who are in sin so that God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. That they might come to their senses I mean, if you've ever read or heard anything about Odinism, you would think, like, that's crazy to follow that, right? I'm sitting there thinking, come to your senses. Well, I'm seeing I could sit there and beat this guy over the head with Scripture, and it's not going to do anything. Rather, I could be gentle and trust that God will bring him to a place that will lead him to come to his senses and escape the snare of the devil. It goes on to say that that, that snare holds him captive to do uh, the will of the one that is corrupt. So in this situation, gentleness is going to be necessary. Gentleness is also necessary for the inheritance that we're called to walk in as the saints. Oftentimes we talk about the benefits of being a believer is, you know, going to heaven. Well, heaven is a temporary place in the scripture. Heaven is going to pass away. God's going to make a new heaven and he's going to make a new earth. I mean, these are things that are important for us to know. And part of that inheritance that belongs to believers is going to require gentleness. Second Timothy, oh, <laughs> you got to forgive me. That's the copy and paste error. 
Matthew, from the Beatitudes, as Jesus is speaking, he says, blessed are those who are gentle, for they will inherit the earth. Gentleness, key to your inheritance. So here's what's important. I told you we're going to find out what we need to know. And, and I, I know it's a little long, but I want to offer this in closing, and I'll move as, as quickly as possible. We need to know what we're operating in. I'll give you a passage of scripture for closing, and you can write it down for your notes. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 is a long chapter, so you'll, you'll find what we're looking for somewhere deep into it around verse 55. But in Luke chapter 9, Jesus, who's been ministering in power, bringing the truth, destroying the works of the devil, establishing the kingdom of God, Jesus, who's been doing all of this in the spirit of gentleness, is going toward Jerusalem. And as he's going toward Jerusalem, he sends people ahead to, to make a way for him, and, and they're rejected. And when they're rejected, when Jesus is rejected, those that are close to Jesus, his, his disciples, just like you, just like me, get upset. Their response uh, becomes severe, rough, harsh, or violent. In fact, they go to Jesus and they say, hey, we went to that town and they said they didn't want you there. So then here's what they say. Do you want us to call fire down from heaven to just consume all those losers right now. And, and you got to just think about this for a second because we hear that and it's kind of like comical, but the reality is that's some serious faith. These guys go up to Jesus and they're saying, hey, Jesus, you know what? I'm feeling it today. I got the juice today. You want me to call fire down from heaven and just roast those guys who said they wanted nothing to do with you? I mean, that's big time faith. They're literally trusting and believing that they could do that. And the word says that Jesus uh, corrects them. Your Bible probably says rebukes them, but I don't like that translation. Because I don't think he, he chews them out or anything. In fact, when you look up that word rebuke in a concordance, you know what it really means? I mean, you've got to go through a few definitions, but it means to warn. Jesus is warning them. He gives them a warning, and that warning is this. You don't know what spirit you're of. The Son of Man didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. That's what I want to end on. I mean, if there's something that I need to know in any situation, I need to know what spirit I'm of. When that guy shows up for work, that guy that God's brought into my life to show Jesus, and he shows up, and he's been using, am I going to be so frustrated, so upset, so disappointed, so hurt, so wounded, that I lose it, and I become severe, and rough, harsh, or even violent? Or am I going to know what spirit I'm of, and realize that the call on my life is to save men's lives, not destroy them. I'm not here to point out how awful he is. He knows how awful he is. I'm not here to point out how sinful he is. He's well aware of that. I'm here to bring dignity to an undignified situation. I'm here to make the, the dishonorable honorable. I'm here to bring something that's not rough, that's not harsh, that's not violent. I'm here to bring something that introduces Jesus where Jesus is absent. I'm here to be gentle. That can be a challenge sometimes, but it's a challenge that we've been equipped to come out on top of all by the Holy Spirit. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray over us, asking God to do something great in our hearts and our minds and through our lives.
As I open up the prayer, I think it's important to realize that God's showing us these things throughout the Scripture. I mean, you've probably set your notes down, so there's no need to write it down, but you see throughout the Scripture, and in, in every time God has revealed himself, gentleness has been part of that process. The idea that he would bring dignity to a situation that's undignified is really my testimony. That Jesus would come into my life and take what's so dirty, so unclean, so corrupt, and he would turn it into something that could be useful and productive, something that could expand his kingdom. I'm a living example of the gentleness of God. And I want to ask, I want to pray, and, and that's really the point of the prayer, that we would have our minds renewed, that gentleness wouldn't just be the absence of violence, but it would be the absence of violence for the purpose of bringing dignity where there is none, and bringing honor where there is none, that we would fill the back half and not just the first half of what it means to be gentle. I want to pray, and you're welcome to join with me. You can be in agreement. You can be in a state of, of just simply receiving, however you choose. But I want to trust and believe God by his spirit for this work. Father, we bless your name, and we thank you for your gentleness. We thank you that our lives are a reflection of your gentleness, that you have come into what is undignified and dishonorable, and you have brought dignity and honor, not just in small measure, but in full we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the presence of the Holy Ghost. We ask for our hearts and minds to come into agreement and alignment with your word, that we would, would learn and, and grow and mature in the things of your kingdom. Let us see gentleness as something to be sought after and pursued, that our words would be gentle and we would turn away wrath, that our actions would be gentle, and that we would not only refuse to be harsh and violent, but that we would see the call and the anointing and the empowerment to bring dignity into every situation. Let that kindle a, a purpose in each one of us, in the things that we deal with day to day, that we would see the power of ministry through our actions and through our words. And let us be devoted to be your ministering priests here on the earth, carrying out your will, establishing your kingdom with all that we are and all that we do. Let gentleness prevail in our hearts. Let gentleness prevail in our minds. Let gentleness be revealed in our words and in our actions. And let gentleness introduce honor and dignity into this world. Let it separate from that which is corrupt and introduce into that which is life-giving and righteous. Let it be for us, but let it also be through us that we would carry your gentleness into the lives of those around us. We give you thanks for the call. We give you thanks for the anointing and we rejoice and thank you for the truth that can set us apart in this world and lead us into the midst of your will for our lives. We bless your name and we thank you for your gentleness in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the saints declared, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.